0: Uh, esports transcends competition and really is a crucial part of modern culture especially in younger uh, millennial and gen z uh, generations
1: you're listening to sports tech feed
0: the global sports technology podcast
1: hello and welcome to sports tech feed i'm your host thomas alone great to have you join us again this week on today's show we have a fantastic esports panel drawn from our 2020 virtual australian sports innovation week And this year for the event, we're back in person on the sunny Gold Coast in Queensland from the 24th to the 26th of November. And sportstechworldseries.com is where you can find out more information about that. But if you're in the majority of the listeners, like myself, uh, tuning in from around the world, here it's uh, Austin, Texas, then you can also sign up to our newsletter, sportstechworldseries.com forward slash newsletter, to stay up to date with the presentation recordings and content insights from the Australian event. I won't do too much more of an intro from this episode we've got our fantastic moderator Chris Smith founder and director of Big Esports uh, and he'll be introducing all the guests today and it's a really international panel and also one of the things I really like about it is the focus on revenue generation so not really an esports 101 kind of taking the next step and seeing how partnerships are built uh, and sustained in the industry across esports and traditional sports.
2: Welcome to our panel on eSports. In this panel today, we're going to be trying to do something a little bit different than what you've most likely seen at other conferences. Most conferences have a panel on eSports which covers the very basics. It covers um, women playing games. It covers what is eSports 101. It covers what's the industry, how big it is, and who are the major movers and shakers in the market. But really what I wanted to do, and my name's Chris, the founder and director of Big eSports, is put together a panel with some industry experts who've actually done some revenue generating partnerships in sports, eSports and gaming, putting things together. And I'd really like you to come away from this panel with some ideas into some tangible things you can do and maybe some people who are on this panel that you can actually contact to make those things happen so just wanting to go clockwise around just to get everybody to introduce themselves quickly first first up we've got Steffi Steffi just let us know a little bit about yourself your history and what you're working on today
3: yes first of all thank you so much for having me on the panel today Chris and uh, yeah uh, hi everybody my name is Steffi Bau. I'm a former three-time women world motocross champion so I come from the sport uh, world uh, as an athlete and uh, fast forward to just about a year and a half ago I saw that there was a void in the esports industry in regards to motorcycle and uh, I started learning from it and um, Formula One has been teaching everybody how the sport can be connected with the esports industry and I kind of like dive in there and make my company it's called Unity Sport and uh, with that we are creating a championship in 2021 for um, motorcycle events and they're going to be sanctioned by the AM which is the american motorcycle association to have a full-on title when the champion of the digital um uh, world will be crowned alongside the champion of the traditional sport
2: yeah fantastic and the next coming in felix so for anyone who um who's has followed me on linkedin before i've seen a lot of content felix has been someone who's appeared on quite a bit of that as well but for those who haven't felix give us a bit of an intro
0: Hey, Chris, thanks for having me. Um, So I'm Felix Sahay, I'm Canadian, but we're LA based at United Esports. My background is in uh, digital media and marketing and created with some partners, the the first uh, influencer marketing company that became at its time the largest in the Western world um, in several countries. And a few years ago, I started really uh, looking to my passion, which has always been esports and gaming, as um, the opportunities it offered from a media standpoint and a marketing uh, standpoint. So United Esports operates as a group. Uh, We have a a, a few properties, but what we're most known for uh, is um, esports marketing. We have a very good uh, position in that market, especially in North America, uh, working with some uh, of the largest brands bringing them into space making sure they succeed but we also of course create media and invest in the space and uh, that's what I'd love to talk to uh, today
2: fantastic and then the last one coming on another man who's appeared on a bunch of our content on both sides of the both sides of the pitch and a man who i guess brings that that good third round up into it so thus far explaining for you people we've got you know myself and and felix you kind of work in the media and agency section we've got steffi who's the one that's putting on the events and sean is the one that owns the team that plays in the events so sean let us know a bit about yourself
4: hey guys how you doing thanks chris for having me on this uh on the show Yeah, my name's Sean, the CEO and co-founder of Talent Esports. My background is kind of mixed, come from a technology and investment banking background. I've always been a big gamer of my whole life, and it's sort of a huge fan of competitive sports as well, having played a lot when I grew up in Australia and also here in Hong Kong at the moment. Uh, was able to put those two passions together, both gaming and competitive sport, into building talent. And we built that about two or three years ago. And what essentially talent is, it's an esports platform that is across APAC. So we're currently in Korea, China, Taiwan, Hong Kong, and Thailand with a view to continuously expand through Southeast Asia and Asia Pacific. And essentially, we have sort of three key business lines. The first being talent management. We manage a whole bunch of different teams, parallels. We have a Creative Studio, which does a lot of sort of treat it like a media agency, um, tournaments as well, um, and bits we and pieces there. And lastly, we have an academy where we manage a lot of younger players uh, in both Hong Kong, uh, Hong Kong, Taiwan, and in Japan.
2: Yeah, fantastic. So kicking off the conversation with Steffi, you know, like in the introduction that I gave, usually most of the eSports panels that anybody watching this would have seen generally has the, yes, women do play video games. But I'd like to go a little bit deeper with you because obviously your passion from your personal experience, but what you're working on is you're actually trying to provide a platform to really push the diversity of women into gaming and eSports. So can you just touch on a little bit for the people, some of the struggles? Why does there need to be support for women in eSports? And what are these, some of the initiatives that you're doing to actually promote that?
3: Yeah, well, I think that in esports, just like in the sport world, women are not at the same level of males, (laughs) so it's exactly the same thing. And why it's important? Because we should live in a society where there is more equality in anything we do. So being a former professional athlete, I had my struggle, and I have learned a lot today. it's the same exactly thing in in esports, so I decided to do something about it. So by coming together with the company, and now we are um, about to launch um, an event is called Race Me that is bringing together uh, girls from different type of backgrounds and um, to play a sim racing sport so the idea is uh, to get people from uh, um, different kind of walk of life together to experience something in uh, in this industry and uh, I think the women in esport sport have the same type of uh, um, battle that they have to fight because they come from different backgrounds they come from different places in the world and uh, unfortunately in this sport even more you might have uh, you know the scream in front and uh, you get bullied and uh, we are here to try to show that this is not the case and we want to change that because everybody's supposed to play on the same level field
2: Mm, and I guess, you know, as a lot of the discussion, the initial discussion you see online is around um, there's not that physical limitation barrier. Obviously, you don't want a 125-pound female fighting against a 220-pound male in the in the USC cage, the same way that you want the males of similar to be fighting against each other, but you don't have that limitation. So are you able to explain a little bit more about that? You said that there's there's some bullying and, and such in, in the market?
3: Yeah, so from what we have learned, you know, like in, in the... In sport you know, it's it's common, especially for games that they are not sport-related games. You know, there might be more like uh, uh, shooting games. You know, women are being treated a little bit like, what are you doing coming here and playing with the boys, right? And and that's not healthy. That's not a healthy environment. Uh, again, you know, like we do, do believe that everybody should have a chance to do whatever they want. And because gaming is like the exact, exact platform where you can do that, as you were saying, you can be you know, disable and play a football game. You know, like and mm. having a, a very good opportunity to be a champion in a sport that you love, but that you cannot physically do. And now you can do it digitally. And uh, that—that's sh- to me is the most powerful thing that e can offer.
2: Yeah, one—one of, one of the most important. Um takeaways that I've had from a conference I've looked at in the past is um, and I, I'll butcher her name so I won't try it but it's a lady in Australia who runs Ladies Who League so rugby league is obviously a male dominated sport here in Australia but the thing that she said that resonated with me is you can't be what you can't see and I want to and I want to position that as potentially the first takeaway for anybody watching this conference is that you know Steffi with what you're working on bringing these traditional female athletes into the gaming space you can use the power you can use their influence and you can use their reach to say yes women can play video games just as well as as men can and also they have the opportunity to play the same games on a larger platform and hopefully you know, that's going to be inspirational to some younger women out there who are going to say, well, now I can be what I can see which is these people playing on the global stage.
3: Absolutely, and that's exactly the idea behind it. We're going to take also a step further. We're going to get those athletes to be able to connect with the the girls of the charity they were working on. The charity is called Girl Up, which is a charity that works in trying to uh, Uh, teach young teenager girls to become leaders in the world. So what a better opportunity for them, you know, to go and take inspiration from, uh, you know, a Hope Solo or a a Liv Morgan, you know, that they've been on top of their games and just say, hey, you know, you did it, I can do it too. And have them to talk, which is something in sport as a whole never happens. You know, you can go and watch a a football game, but you cannot, if you are in the stands and watching it, the likelihood that you can go and talk with your idol is very small this forgets mm. gets you to do this you know because athletes they are also gamer and they like to play games and then they can take down the barrier and be able to inspire people on a level that they can see them and then say go for it
2: Mm, yeah that makes sense so I guess you know the first real takeaway here is you know if, you, if you're a player manager of, of some prominent female players if you're uh, a female focused sports team you know here in Australia we've got AFL women a lot of NRL women teams and things like that as well great opportunity to talk to Steffi and you know get some of your, your powerful professional athletes into the gaming esports space to represent you know not only your message and your brand but also themselves and, and inspire future people
3: Absolutely. I'm always willing to help anybody and I really care about getting opportunities for women, especially. And yes, just connect with me and we'll figure it out a way.
2: Yeah, fantastic. So the second thing for you, Steffi, I I found it really interesting that when coronavirus kicked off and maybe part of it was the timing, right? I feel like the first large global tournament to be cancelled due to coronavirus was the Formula One in (laughs) Melbourne. And since then, motorsport has been the category of sport that has really jumped in both arms, both legs, heads, body, everything straight into eSports. So almost every single major um, motor racing code has had some sort of eSports showing around the world. Obviously, you're in the middle of a lot of that, but I'd like to talk about that. Why has there been so much more interest, do you think, from motorsport compared to any other sport?
3: Well, one of the reason is because it's simple, meaning that uh, it's a race where you start and then there is a checking flag. So for the audience to follow is something very easy to do, right? Yeah. Whereas if you do like something with a regular, other regular sport, if you don't know that sport inside out, you might not understand what's going on in the screen. So Formula One is something very brilliant. They pivot very quickly because... Uh, racer, they do pl- se- sit in the cockpit of, the, of a sim racing rig to practice. Already, so it's something that they already did, and they were used to do it before. They were just doing secretly at their house, you know. Like, but then when this turned around to be everybody home and nobody could uh, race anymore, then they say, "Wait a second! Now I have the opportunity to still do what I love, to still race." And then organizers started to come together and make that happen, and also, you know, have a conversation with my fans through a screen, and keep continuing pretty much not dipping the sport uh, world, but actually stay on. On top of things, even though during a time that everybody was at home, and uh, I think the key on that is the fact that, that with um, a motorsport game, especially in car game, you have all the equipment. You know, you have the steering wheel, you have the pedal. There are companies that do that. There are companies that they make the rig, right? So they also give you the same emotion of being in the car, and a lot of people drive a car, so it's just a, a quicker step, right? So you go in the car, you play, and then you might have the chance to play even with your idol, and that's why they did it and that's why I think it, it kind of like jumped completely onto the top of the, the scale.
2: Mm, no, that makes sense to me. And I guess Sean, to put you on a bit of a spot here, like most of the games that your team operates in is is what you would call like traditional esports games so the ones like tier ones like League of Legends and then obviously a lot of mobile games because that's the region that you're located in but I'd like to ask you how do you see the adoption of motor racing in the hardcore esports market obviously the sim racing esports has been massive for that crossover and maybe that casual fan but I haven't seen like massive adoption into the hardcore esports market yet do you think there are some major barriers that need to be knocked down and are we going to see you guys pick up a, a sim racing team in the next one to five years
4: yeah i mean it's definitely when we look at it from an asia asia pacific perspective the issue is it's probably just there's not that big of an audience that really likes watching that sort of i mean just even traditional motorsports right i think that there's a bit of a gap there and because of that you know as as esports teams we have to make sort of selective decisions around sort of how we allocate capital into particular games and a lot of things that we look for is what are the sponsorship opportunities what are the eyeballs right sponsors are only looking generally for one thing a lot of the time and that's brand awareness on how you can drive sort of sales through their particular product or service that they're offering, right? And so it's a little bit hard, but in saying that I wouldn't say it's not happening here in Asia. You know, Logitech has done a lot of stuff in uh, Hong Kong and Taiwan. Last year, I think there was a drift series where we had one of the traditional, okay. like one of the best drifters in Japan come down to Taiwan. And we did an event at the, the Logitech Stadium where they had a whole bunch of guys come in. Uh, it was actually really well attended. Um, and then he was also, basically playing Gran Torosimo and doing all these crazy drifts around the track, which was pretty cool. I think it will take a bit of time. Um, I think it's more... Because, you know, Formula 1 here in Shanghai, Singapore, there are two major races here. I think China's looking at a second race now. So I think slowly, slowly it will happen. It just comes down to just uh, you know, how, how the leagues develop, how it, how it gets pushed. I know there's been some people who have approached us trying to push leagues and getting us involved as well. And I think it's a slow, gradual process. I'm not saying there's no interest here in APEC. I don't think it's not as strong as say a game like League of Legends, but slowly, slow it can happen. And the event last year in Taiwan run by Logitech because Logitech obviously has the great steering wheels and, and buzz that they got from that shows that there is potential. It's just a matter of directing it into the right place, getting the right viewership in the league, make sure we broadcast is at a level that's exciting and people want to watch. And I think it's, it's definitely doable. There's it's nothing stopping it. You know? yeah, maybe maybe we
0: can even start with a crossover with professional drivers on Rocket League see what happens.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, that seems to make sense to me. And the other, and I guess, um, you know, finishing up this point before we move on next to Felix <clears throat> and touching on from my experience is you see the sponsorship crossover is quite strong as well. You know, a lot of fans who are fans of the e version of of the online racing are also fans of real life racing so that's when you can get motor oil companies and tire companies and such and you do see them activating in that space so well you Mm. see you know mobile activating with rocket league you know which is a very soft crossover which is an example that felix used before so there's a lot of commercial opportunities as well to reach a similar a similar but younger type of audience and you know while a lot of the sports are have an aging platform you know a lot of dr- a lot of people who are obsessed with drifting, like, like Sean was talking about before, are a lot are a lot younger as well. So maybe there is a good crossover between the younger ones like Rocket League drifting and, you yeah. know, being able to expose your brands to those new kind of markets. Because how, how often do Gen Zs and Millennials hear or care about Bridgestone? Maybe not a lot, but maybe if they do see it on a on a e Formula One team or an e NASCAR team or a Rocket League team. Yeah, fantastic. So Felix, jumping on the next one for you. So um, yes, touching on touching on your experience with um, influencers. So we've seen so many traditional influencers <laughs> in the sports and the music and the and the artist space try to come into it, come into esports and gaming. So some of the really best sport examples globally would be uh, a guy called Kun, who who's uh, Sergio, who plays for Manchester City, I believe. You know, he managed mm-hmm. to enter in the market. He's launched his own esports team. He's done a very well um, rounded natural entry where he's created a lot of content, play with a lot of big YouTubers, and he's getting literally millions of views per YouTube video. We've also seen a lot of other rappers come into the space like Logic, um, Offset's been an investor, um, Sway Lee's been an investor, but also we've seen a lot of just really light touch stuff of, of uh, professional athletes coming to the market. Maybe Robert Whittaker, ex-middleweight MMA champion of the world, just love to play Bethesda games, goes to conferences, and you know, always carries his laptop with him to Dubai when he tries to fight. I'd love to hear from you as to, are there any particular sports that have better crossovers when they come into the influencer market. And can you give like a really general rundown is, is what does it mean if uh, any kind of athlete is going to become a gaming influencer themselves?
0: Yeah. It's an interesting thing because I think you're touching on two points and we can discuss uh, both, uh, you know, there's the coming in as an investor and owner and being naturally in and expanding. And what I mean, or also, right, actually coming in uh, as an influencer. And what I mean is that, Of course, when you see uh, football players, basketball players, and so on, taking positions, as in equity positions and promotional positions in eSports teams, it's quite different uh, than when they are, you know, participating in in gaming culture and so on. Uh, The the way I summarize it in a couple of phrases, and if not one, is the majority of athletes are young guys uh, and young women. And the extreme majority of young people play video games in some capacity or consume video game content. And you see it. I mean, the anecdotes that I like to tell and that uh, helped me convince a a few people, you know, to, to follow me in this in the beginning is that being Canadian, you know, love hockey. It's known that when in the NHL, there is, so that's the National Hockey League, there is a a disconnect between some of the older players and the younger players simply because the older guys want to go to the bars and, and drink mm. and the younger guys want to come and play Fortnite, uh, come back to the hotel and play Fortnite. They leave TVs, they leave consoles, they leave PCs in the cities that they tour frequently because it is such a part of their passion. And an important thing, and what I mean by this, and it is mainly, uh, an age thing, but it's also willingness to compete and create something um, um, exciting. Uh, the funny thing is, and here I'm going to take an example from the work we've done with uh, players uh, in the NFL, um, you know, they will frequently say, so NFL is, of course, American football, the biggest game of which is Madden, they're split in two. There's the ones that will refuse to play Madden outside. That will refuse to play Madden because it's their day job. And there's guys that will play exclusively uh, that game. So I don't want to say that there's a mold for all these guys, but the fact is that they share a passion and sometimes heightened uh, uh, involvement for the space, for their competitive nature. But I think it's mainly driven by by youth and and lifestyle, because as we all know, uh, esports transcends competition and really is a crucial part of modern culture especially in younger uh, millennial and Gen Z uh, generations
2: yeah and I never I never thought too much about that that gap that you were saying—it's it's nothing. It's nothing that I've heard anyone talk about before, but it makes perfect sense. I mean, once again, using an Australia example, there's a lot of rugby league teams that have banned their players from playing Fortnite because they've just been staying up too late <laughs> and playing too much Fortnite and, and being too tired coming to practice. But on the other <laughs> side of the coin, sometimes I've seen sports have pushed their players to do that because it means that you know these guys are young, they're full of adrenaline, and you know sometimes they might go out and do crazy stuff. So staying inside, yeah, that, that's and the funny Fortnite thing,
0: I mean, every time I talk to the people who are good friends in the traditional sports, like, do you really prefer they're out drinking until four or do you prefer they're inside the hotel playing Fortnite until four? And they're going to be up either way. You might as well yeah. have them something. So, you know, it's uh, there's always the discussion is to which extent uh, uh, the things co- correlate, esports and sports and so on. But I, I think that the most obvious, again, tie-in, for the athletes uh, to the esports and gaming world is simply through culture and lifestyle. It is what young people are doing. These these guys and girls are are young and and excited to do something uh, that makes sense for their generation. And that's why you see a lot of them come into our our, our industry of esports.
2: Yeah, that makes perfect sense to me. And, And like you were saying there, they're all gamers anyway. And a lot of the discussions that I've had with, um, you know, MMA managers talk, I talk to a lot about this and, and also football or soccer, depending what country and managers too, is saying that yeah. these guys already play these games. All you need to do is highlight it authentically and they can then become a gaming influencer. And I love to use the example of Robert Whitaker because he's not – He's not a hardcore content creator. He's not streaming okay. all the time. He's not making a lot of YouTube videos. But people know him as a gamer because he goes to the conventions. When he does interviews with his MMA media, when he's got a fight in Dubai, he's taking a laptop with him to play the super nerdy games like Elder Scrolls Online. And then I love Elder Scrolls Online.
0: Exactly. <laughs> and then it builds that authentic
2: thing. Or if you want to go hardcore, you could be like Kun and stream. You know, I believe he had a knee injury and when coronavirus hit across a one and a half month period he's streamed every single day except for two but that allowed him to play with the biggest youtubers to now build his own esports team and build something authentic off the back of that
0: but it's an interesting thing and i don't want to be purely anecdotal but you'll hear a lot of stories of you know nba superstars at the same those, those crossover events and you'll have a gaming superstar that's there and um, all the, you know, outside fans are uh, being very excited to see the the NBA or any other sports player. And uh, uh, traditional athletes are fanboying on a gaming star because that's the content that they're actually watching. So really it is not at all a stretch. And, you know, you hear people in our side of the industry, the media side of, of esports, the marketing side of esports, they will always say do something authentic, right? Uh, Sports, sports, or athletes, or traditional athletes, uh, sportsmen, and sportswomen, in esports are very authentic. It works extremely well, and you know that you can have a laundry laundry list of positive activations. Which, you know, from a pure revenue standpoint, if you are a sports manager, you know we have conversations almost every day now with sports uh, marketing agency and sports agents, etc. Because it's such an authentic fit, it's a very logical way for them to monetize, to add an arrow to their quiver in terms of monetizing their, their um, athletes or their clients' um, public image.
2: Yeah, exactly. So I guess that's another, you know, it's another takeaway for anyone watching. You know, there are influencer campaigns to be had from the early to late stage with these athletes getting into the space. You just need to make sure that it is built authentically, that every now and then when they're playing FIFA or Madden or Fortnite, just to post an Instagram story, just to let their fans know that, hey, I am a gamer. And it doesn't just come out of nowhere that suddenly they've signed a deal with Fortnite and they're they're playing in a tournament. It does definitely seem natural and so add on what you're saying too some of the work that we're doing at Big Esports is trying to I wouldn't say reinvent but you know when some of these superstars are coming towards near the end of their career often they're thinking about okay what's next for me and some of those are asking the question: Well, should I buy an esports team? Uh, should I make mm-hmm. one? Our, should I make one myself? Should I become a content creator? And that's a lot of the discussions that we're having with these people. Is not only you know how how do they push and make a new revenue stream for themselves in the future, but how do they maintain relevance to younger fans themselves and continue bringing mm-hmm. those younger fans and to build maybe their legacy in another way than just the traditional sport. So that's another thing you can you can think about as well. Yes, Steffi, you want to say something?
3: Yeah, I was going to say something. Is like in a sports actually we have noticing in this, this thing that uh, r- driver that uh, they are done with their career now they are exploring esports as a way to go back and get the excitement. So all of a sudden, mm-hmm. a driver career as an athlete is extended. So mm-hmm. there is way more opportunity now for an athlete to, to generate revenue after their core traditional sport career because they are going into the gaming. In motorsport, they tend to go back into the cockpit and drive the, the car in the rig. But it's very similar to what we are talking about. But it's cool from an athlete point of view that now there is not only opportunity to invest uh, and, and generate Raven as an investor or as a, a content creator. You can also look at it in a way that you can extend your career within the passion that made your career at the beginning to start mm-hmm. with.
2: Yep, very true. Yeah, good. So another another good takeaway. I'm glad we're we're achieving the goals of the of the panel. <laughs> last last but not least, Sean. So if a if a sponsor or a traditional sports team wants to get really hands on, as, as hands on as possible, you know they could build a partnership like you have with with Paris Saint Germain, obviously who's on your jersey. So you know for, for those people who don't know, like Sean said at the start, he runs an esports team there in, they there in very heavy partnership with PSG. And for me, as a kind of content creator and industry analyst in the space, what's always really interesting me And what Sean and I have talked about on my podcast with is how hands-on and how entwined PSG really is with talent esports. We've seen, say, FaZe Clan, who are self-proclaimed the largest esports team in the world, who are very good in lifestyle and merchandise, have done some light-touch partnerships with, uh, Manchester, with uh, Manchester City, you know, releasing some merchandise together. We've also seen Fnatic have done some light-touch partnerships with Arsenal. Here in Australia, we've seen the Adelaide Crows Australian Football League team purchase their own esports team, Legacy Esports. But besides maybe the Crows because they've got an equity relationship, PSG and, and Talon and PSG with their other esports team in the past, LGD, are just so much more entwined than anything else. So I'd love for you to to give that roundup, Sean. Like how are you in partnership with PSG? What do they do for you? What do you do for them?
4: Yeah, so we can talk a little bit more about um, all of that. So firstly, just on the high level, there are sort of, sort of four to five key areas that we work very closely with PSG on. And this is literally a day to day conversation that we have to them. It's not like we talk to them once a month. It, it's like I have a direct line to you know, their head of partnerships. I have a direct line to their CEO. I have a direct line to their social media team. Right? So if we need to do certain mm-hmm. things, it's very easy to grab it. So, firstly, um, one of the biggest things that we share is on the sponsorship and commercial side of things. Obviously, PSG has a huge round of sort of sponsors that currently work with that brand. They have a global brand that's super successful Nike, Air Jordan, the list goes on. If you go on their website, you can scroll for literally five days and all the sponsors are there. A lot of those brands are kind of looking to activate within esports, right? And because naturally for PSG, it's a great extension to them because if Nike in China is super interested in esports and there's a League of Legends team, in greater china that's tied with psg there's a lot of things that we can work together on so recently having mm-hmm. just come back from shanghai we were having conversations with nike in china and seeing what we can do going forward right because then that was a natural extension from what PSG's provided to so us so from a sponsorship perspective you know they have a team in singapore they have a team in Shanghai they have a team in Paris and we work directly with them on basically any partnership conversations that they're having but that's a big part for us because as an organization as an esports team we're nowhere near as big as a, a brand like PSG and for them to be able to support us on that that's huge on the social media and marketing side of things they also support us as well so if there's any sort of tweets that we want to promote or any sponsorships that we want to promote or any particular campaigns we want to leverage the PSG brand or the PSG eSports brand, Uh, they're very open to basically sharing. So whether that's even on the PSG English Twitter, which covers soccer and all the other sports that they do, they're happy to retweet or basically do shout outs and promote, which is huge because obviously their following, once again, is significantly larger than us and they're open to doing that. On on that as well, there's a lot of crossover content pieces. So once a year, for example, we do have the opportunity to fly to Paris and meet with the, the performance teams there and and do whatever sort of is available. And and there are opportunities to work with both the football team, the judo team, the handball teams, and those type of things of course are invaluable when it comes to sort of content and exposure as well. Um, On the merchandise side, it's a huge thing as well from our perspective, PSG has been super open with allowing us to take the IP rights of the brand, particularly this crossover logo here, and basically be the sole distributor and manufacturer and developer of clothing content pieces uh, basically, throughout this region, which is incredibly powerful. Obviously, the Air Jordan, Nike, PSG brand are incredibly strong brands here in Asia, and to be able to leverage it together to produce uh, sort of merchandise is, is one thing that they've been super open about. They basically want to have a look at sort of our styles. Are they happy with that? And overall, if it meets, meets the quality that PSG is after, then we're allowed to go out and sell into the markets and take advantage And lastly, on the performance side, which I think is really important from our side, we're a club that's very focused on winning. Uh, We can actually spend a lot of time talking with PSG around what are the mechanics, processes, and systems that they've developed as a football club, and how can we implement some of those esports. Esports, we generally feel, is lacking a lot of that right now. And there's no point of reinventing the wheel because many of Oftentimes, of course, the technical stuff of what, let's say, a game like League of Legends is, we can't learn. But in regards to how a week, how a quarter, how half a year, how a year is planned around recruitment, around sort of performance management, how you manage to play, sleep, food, diet, all that stuff is really important. And to be able to leverage such a big brand like PSG, which has fantastic performance framework around how they look at that, is also really important for us because it allows us to create consistency across all our different titles and then basically learn from the best, right? Because uh, eSports, I think, is still somewhat far away from traditional sports on the professionalism on how they manage it. And of course, the physical side is not as important, but we still believe here at Talent, Healthy Body, Healthy Mind. And when reaction speeds are so important within eSports, being physically fit is also a good thing and being able to learn from such a big brand that manages top elite athletes like Neymar and Mbappe. It's just awesome to be able to have that and you know they've really invested into working with us so it's not like uh we touch base once in a while i have basically got all those guys on, on you know on direct message and i just ask, hey what's this with that and and you know we can talk directly and get things done which is great mm-hmm.
0: and, and yeah, sean is being
4: humble when they say they they're, they're focused
0: on on winning because they do win quite a lot so a <laughs> highly competitive and successful yeah. organization
2: yeah, very true. So I guess like a, if I was to like dot point that synopsis, Sean, from what you're saying, it, it seems to me that you know PSG gets access to a brand new audience. And and a younger audience being League of Legends, they also get access to other potential revenue generating opportunities. So through Mm -hmm. on-seller sponsorship, um, through merchandising. And then Mm -hmm. on the flip side, what what you guys get out of it is you get access to their uh, commercial experience, their business Mm -hmm. experience and their performance experience primarily. Mm -hmm. So they can help you not only grow as a business to also sell more sponsorships, but also make your players better, which will hopefully also help numbers one and two.
4: Exactly. Exactly, and I think if you look at where PSG is at, like obviously League One, the times that they play, it's it's difficult for fans here in Asia to watch it because it's usually four, or five a.m. in the morning here in here in sort of China, Greater China, sort of APAC region. It's a bit mm. difficult, and obviously you face fierce competition from the Premier League, right? Because if you go to any of these Asian football countries, it's Liverpool's, it's United's, Liverpool, it's Arsenal's, United, it's, Arsenal, it's Chelsea's these are the biggest clubs that are there, right? And PSG has done a fantastic job because I feel like mm-hmm. their strategy is around how can I access these brand new fans without sort of obviously pushing different angles and obviously fashion and lifestyle is a huge part of it. What they've done with Air Jordan, course, they did some crazy stuff in Shenzhen last year, which was really cool, it built a lot of hype. But then the other way is through eSports, right? Because, you know, here in Asia, it, it's, it's number one, right? League of Legends, these type of games, people are absolutely fanatic for... And to be able to see the PSG talent brand and all that branding, you know, we went to Worlds recently, and the exposures that you get from that, you don't get it from any other traditional sport you're trying to push here in Asia. It's only coming from Worlds, it's coming from TI, it's coming from ROV. These type of games are really gonna blow that brand up. And it's like, mm. although they may not directly associate with the football side yet, slowly, slowly over time, if we're consistently doing well in our league and going to Worlds, then that Paris brand will be embedded within League of Legends and you'll see a transfer of those brands over to football because they'd be like, oh, what is this brand? Let me check it out and you'll see that slow transition. So for sure it's a smart strategy, right? And I think it's win-win for both parties. It's not like, um, you know, like someone's just basically getting all the benefits and not, it's actually a huge benefit for both of us. And uh, they're also learning a lot, we're learning a lot and we can continue to develop together. And our objective is, you know, can we get to a stage where we go to worlds and potentially win worlds or be super, get to semis, get to quarters. And then we're working with Paris on how we can do that both commercially and performance wise because Both those things are tied together. The bigger sponsors you can get in, the better the squad or the budget that you have available, and obviously the bigger than better the teams and the performance stuff, facilities, all these things can come together, really step up sort of the level of an organization and actually help each other both promote within the APAC region.
2: Yeah, great. So you know, throughout, so to, to do a quick wrap up of the panel because now we're out of time. You know, we wanted to talk about ways that uh, people watching this can actually actively get involved in the space. So a few that we talked about. So Steffi led the charge. We're talking about you know women and and female empowerment in sports and esports. Very similar. And the people who are doing some great work in sports can also be doing very similar great work in esports. So make sure to reach out to her. So we also talked about motor racing and the reason why motor racing isn't necessarily a hardcore esport, but that actually works perfectly for a lot of brands. It also works perfectly for a lot of athletes that want to come into this space as well then we talked with felix about um, the difference between professional athletes wanting to invest in the industry versus wanting to become a content creator themselves you know we found out that they all play games anyway all you need to do is basically just highlight that um, and then you can build the story based off that and then also we talked with sean about how these uh, traditional sports teams can build a revenue generating and very uh, interpersonal or very personal relationship with an esports team if they want to get extremely hands-on and the last thing i wanted to mention as well is just how some of the local leagues and and teams can do things. So obviously, like I said at the start, most people have been talking about here's the big size of the industry, here's the massive partnerships, where the million dollars flow through. But if you're leading a small you know, football league, if you're leading a hockey club or a cluster of them, one thing to think about is how you can use gaming to reactivate with your fans. I've heard of local AFL teams here doing Fortnite dance-offs with their kids just to get them excited in the locker room, giving out small prizes. We've also seen local leagues and, and uh, state-based organisations do tournaments that can only cost or can, can cost only only ten to $30,000 to kick off, especially if you can get some kids to play. While most kids aren't on the field now because of coronavirus, it's a great way to raise money for the club, and it's a great way to do some other things. So if you'd like to talk about any of those, you can feel free to reach out to me on LinkedIn. My LinkedIn URL is smithy mayo, or just chris at bigesports.gg is my email. Steffi, if people would like to follow you and reach out, where's the best place? Yes,
3: on LinkedIn, is just my name, so slash Steffi Bao. And then uh, check out the website, initesports.com and all the social media attached to that in esports and uh, we will be talking a lot about race me so i hope you're gonna get to come and watch it
2: yeah fantastic and for you felix
0: Uh, if you want to email me it's felix at united esports and if you want to find me on linkedin it's felix there's not that many of us so i'm probably the one (laughs) yeah
2: unfortunately there's a lot of christmas so
4: Yeah, just uh, email me, sean.zang at talentesports.com, or if it's on LinkedIn, I think you just need to add in my traditional Chinese name, which is X-I-A-O, so Zhao, Sean, Zhang. Just type those three things, you should find me. Uh, But yeah, email's good as well, so either of those is good. Yep.
2: Fantastic. Thanks, Steffi, Felix, and Sean, and thanks, everybody, for watching.
1: There you have it. That was our eSports panel, Building Revenue, Generating Partnerships in eSports. As I mentioned at the beginning, I'm your host, Thomas Lohmes. Great to have you join us again this week. And sportstechworldseries.com if you'd like to find out more. Um, forward slash newsletter if you want to sign up for that newsletter and stay up to date on everything that we're doing. Until next time, you've been listening to Sports Tech Feed. <laughs>